Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Where does creativity fit into compliance? In more places than you think. Problem solving, accountability, communication, and connection. They all take creativity. Join your hosts, Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman on Creativity and Compliance, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back with Ronnie Feldman for another episode. So first of all, Ronnie, uh, welcome. Oh, thanks. I always enjoy your company. Today, we are joined by Pat Filiano, Global Compliance Manager at Magma International. He's going to chat with Ronnie about a really interesting creative project that they both worked on. So, uh, Pat, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us. And I'm going to pass it over to Ronnie. Uh, well, hey, you, you asked her to say hi, and then she didn't get a chance to say hi. So say hi. <laughs> hi. Hi, everybody. Nice to be here. Thanks for having <laughs> yeah. me. Well, so, uh, Pat, uh, just to for the, the people who don't know you who listen to this thing, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, – uh, how you got into the compliance role and uh, I guess the, uh, an overview of the program uh, that Magna has and so how so we can establish kind of like who you are and uh, what you guys do. So um, I joined Magna back in 2012 in the legal department uh, thinking that I was just going to come and do the same thing I'd been doing for 25 years. Uh, but then um, in 2013, uh, Joanne Haribe, who is our current chief compliance officer, was uh, given the opportunity to run with the Global Compliance Program and asked me to join her team. Um, I haven't looked back. I absolutely love doing the compliance um, gig. Um, it's, it's a great way to be creative and uh, get the creative juices flowing and how to present stuff to your employees and um, roll out onboarding. So I've had um, my hand in all of the elements that make up a good compliance program uh, and assisting Joanne along the way. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, we're always looking for creative ways to showcase compliance because it is such a serious topic, but it doesn't have to be. And, um, you know, that's part of the discussion we're going to have today. So that's great. And, and real quick, uh, for the people who aren't familiar with Magna International, could you give them just sort of a top level about the kind of company it is and um, uh, what you're trying to do uh, in a broad sense with the compliance program? And then we'll jump into the project. Yeah. So Magna is a Canadian-owned company. It is a public company. Uh, we have over 165,000 employees globally. And we're one of the top manufacturing uh, auto industry companies. Uh, companies in the world. So it's a great company to work with. Uh, it's got an entrepreneurial ship kind of vibe. So um, it's a lot of fun. And um, yeah, our, so our compliance program, we're, we're kind of at the mature phase of it right now. Um, back in 2012 and 2013, we were building it up. So, you know, a lot of the challenges and, and things that we faced back then, we're not facing those right now, but we are uh, trying to keep it fresh and and keep the uh, message and the education flowing. So that's great. And I met had met Joanne Haribe, uh, I think, at a Compliance Week conference, I want to say, four, three, four years ago. Um, and we had hit it off. And, and so then I got introduced to you, Pat, and we had been exchanging ideas over the years until we landed on 
uh, one that I that uh, landed on this one. So let's uh, so let's talk a little bit about um, the project. Um, we ended up creating a, a storytelling series that ended up being called Tales from the Hotline. I thought maybe you could just share a little bit of why don't you describe the project and what drew you to it and we'll jump into it that way so Ron, when ronnie approached us as a i think it, the first thing we did was like a kind of like a feeling us out are you interested um and then we had a brainstorming call about you know what kind of topics could we talk about what uh the tales from the hotline um was intriguing to us because you know developing a speak up culture is quite challenging and trying to you know teach the employees or get the message out there that it's okay to speak up as long as you do it uh, in a, in a proper way where you're not trying to, you know, um, maliciously report things that aren't true, but, you know, in good faith. And we were trying to find a way to, to sort of display or present um, ideas or things that were actually going wrong in the company um, and present it in a way that's a little comedic, um, but still getting the message across without it sounding so serious. So that was the intrigue of these um, the tales from the hotline for us. And also um, just having the, like, we always wanted to grow our training and our videos library. So that was one of the intrigues for us was just how can we have these little shorts? You know, Ronnie, we always talk about these one to two minute segments. Um, they ended up being mm-hmm. a little bit longer, but I think uh, well worth it. Um, delivering the message in a great way. Uh, it's fun. They're animated. Um, really, they really came alive. Like I really, really enjoyed uh, working through this project with you from start to finish. So yeah. Oh well, that's great. I like we. One thing I've, I guess this is sort of behind the scenes thing, but but one of the things that I enjoy so much about this community is, you know, I'm bringing these um, comedians and writers, entertainers to the table, um, and we're used to working on creative projects, but I like to uh, peel back the curtain and let the ethics compliance community see the process and participate in the process for creating something new. Because uh, like anything else, the, the, the more you peel back the onion, it, it, you can, it's hard. It's hard to find like that right balance where you can say mm-hmm. something that's truthful and meaningful and fun, but not too fun, but right. still fun. And then what's, yeah. uh, so Anyway, I, I, you were a, a great participant in it, and, and actually I give you a lot of credit for kind of pushing back uh, on things that were important to you, um, mm-hmm. which was great because it helped us sharpen the knife and make, uh, make things better. Yes. I didn't really give – I'm sorry, I didn't give you a question there. I apologize. No, that's okay. <laughs> Uh, so, um, let's talk a little bit about, um, the idea of telling real stories, I think is helpful because it allows you to, um, even if it's not necessarily from your company, but from a community of companies, um, bring these situations to life and debunk myths. Um, maybe you could just talk a little bit about how, um, uh, uh, this concept and how it can help you teach on these subjects. Yeah. So, um, a lot of times, you know, through the hotline, as most companies uh, will see, you know, employees report things and they think that nothing happens. So in a lot of cases, uh, these tales from the hotline were great because it kind of gave you the end result. So it'll, it'll say that the guy was fired or, not, you know, that this happened or that happened or some sort of discipline was carried out. But again, because they were sort of light and lively, it, it doesn't really like hit the employee as hard as it would if it were like real life characters uh, in a serious context. So I think it's important to show that 
you know, companies are doing what they need to do uh, with regard to any um, complaints or any concerns that are raised to their employees through their hotlines, and that action is actually taken. We're well aware of it. You're not the only ones that um, recognize that there's wrongdoing going on, uh, but then there is a resulting consequences in most cases, um, and, and we do um, conclude them in a, you know, uh, in a proper manner, so... I do, you know, we in some ways stumbled into this part of the process in that, you know, traditionally mo- most ethics programs, when they do do video, do do video, they do it with uh, um, uh, scenario-based videos. Yeah. Uh, and I've talked about this on the podcast before. Scenarios-based videos are very good for teaching, but they're very expensive to make. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're hard to make well, like realistic, because you have to deal with scenes and sets. And this storytelling style allowed us to tell a full, well-rounded story with a beginning, middle, and end. Um, here's what happened. Here's what they thought. Here's why it's wrong. Here's the policy that uh, it, it, it relates to. Here's the resources that they could have used. And here's yeah. what happened. You know, right. I feel like it told like that whole 360 kind of story. Yeah, and the biggest part, too, was the anti-retaliation piece. So I think most or all of the videos uh, cover off the anti-retaliation side of things. So, you know, just reminding employees that, you know, you won't be retaliated against for any concerns raised in good faith. And that's just the way it should be. Yeah, and the fact that – so thanks for bringing that up. Like, we often talk about the importance of promoting speak-up culture. And uh, this sort of fills another hole, at least in our journey for creating content for companies, is that it starts to show what happens after you speak up to do just what you talked about, uh, the idea of building trust in the organization, that there's some more sense of organizational justice. And I don't really know uh, too many ways to do that other than to keep telling people over and over and over what happened. and. Um, and showing them the mechanics of the process. Yes, Um, and I think some of these uh, scenarios that we used in the Tales from the Hotline were relatable. Like, you know, we pulled, we we helped create a couple of them, and the other business partners involved created some. So these were real-life things that happened or went on um, at these companies, which is really great. It's nice to see that it just doesn't happen at our company. It happens all over the place. So, um, you know, that that was a good thing. Um, Yeah, so... It was a great um, opportunity to participate in something that um, seeing it from inception to the end result was was really satisfying. You, you just you just reminded me uh, um, of something like I remember there was a couple of times. So we solicited uh, stories from several companies mm-hmm. and then mixed them all up together and had a group vote on which ones to do. And um, and then as we were working on them, we would have these discussions and the some people would be like, well, this this is ridiculous because this wouldn't happen. And then one of the other companies would go, this happened. <laughs> this is something that happened. And then you'd be like, Oh, did that happen? And, um, we, we, I think in some cases we unearthed the fact that there were some issues that perhaps some of the companies didn't know was going on, you know, uh, didn't think that it was a problem Whereas other companies were like, yeah, this is a problem. Um, I think it's it was fun to do that. I know we pushed back on a lot of those because sometimes in the manufacturing industry and the retail industry, there's different um, ethical concerns that come about. So that's you know a lot of us we we tugged and pulled on a lot of those, uh, but you know we, we ended up with a good compromise and got some great products out of it. So one of the things I associate with yours and Joanne. Uh, Joanne's participation was uh, really making sure that these things were global friendly. And I know we've 
uh, I don't want to say struggled, but we, we found that a challenge making sometimes humorous content and finding um, things that can work. But the storytelling style actually gave us a lot of flexibility. Um, maybe share a little bit about uh, some of the things that we did to try and make sure they were global friendly. Yeah, so the English version for the North American folks is always like the, the most, the funniest one. We get all the, the, the phrases and the catchphrases and the, you know, I think one of them was the Dalai Lama and stuff like that, like, you know, or Rama, whatever the phrase was. No, no drama llama, that's what it was. No drama llama, yeah. right? So, you know, we're looking at these and we're thinking, okay, we get it, but how are we going to translate this into... Uh, the languages where other people are going to understand it. So that was a bit challenging, but I think, Ronnie, correct me if I'm wrong, but the approach we took was, you know, we can use that phrase in the in the languages where it makes sense to use it and then translate it in a more professional manner in the languages where it doesn't make such that much sense, but it's still not changing the context or the meaning or taking anything away from the video once it's been translated. So because um, I opt to leave it in English and then do something else with the other languages if it means turning it into a proper phrase or excluding it entirely or whatever. But at least uh, that's the way we, we approached it, I think. Yeah, well, and so a couple of things that we did was, uh, well, first we wrote it to, you know, to the group was satisfied, you know, that we felt it was uh, the right balance of, enter, you know, entertainment and learning. And then um, I know you ran it by some subject matter experts in other countries, uh, and mm-hmm. they would point out phrases that didn't make sense to them. And and then we had the the, the, the choice of pulling that out, pulling those phrases out, which I think is what most compliance companies tend to do, or compliance organizations tend to do. Um, we made the choice in a couple instances to leave it in, mm-hmm. and then explain it. And so the example that I'll use is when we said like. She thinks herself is a no drama llama. If you don't know what that means, it means she knows something isn't right, but she knows she got to do something. <laughs> so we yeah. we kept the you know the the charming phrase, but then explained it. So we felt like that gave it the best of both worlds. Yeah, um, absolutely. Pat, I wanted to pick up on a point you raised, and uh, well, actually two points: trust and institutional justice. But I really was intrigued by the use of the word trust. Because the more or the longer the pandemic lasts and the more I talk to people about what are the risks, what are the consequences, what are the new issues arising from working from home, I keep hearing the word trust more. And it seems like that is something that um, is becoming more of an issue and companies are struggling with how to maintain that employee trust in this current environment. So I was wondering if I might uh, maybe get you to to expand a little bit, or why do you think these videos mm-hmm. helped with trust, and, and is that something that uh, you feel like your compliance function can really help communicate as as we're all working from home? Yeah, so working from home has become a big challenge for us, um, and for most companies. Um, luckily, we can work from home. There's a lot of people who can't. Um, I think the trust aspect in the videos are more about, you know, showcasing the scenario, explaining it all, and and really driving home the point about speaking up and trusting that we'll do what we need to do to investigate it. And if it, you know, obviously the we also have investigations policies that we need to follow within our own organization. And I think the employees know that and understand that. And I think uh, more and more people are... Um, 
you know, picking up the phone or, or, or going through our, uh, our uh, online reporting system to raise concerns that they have, whether it's an ethical concern or, or, or otherwise. But um, I think um, for us, I think anything that we can do from a compliance perspective to help build the trust within the, the organization um, is success for us any day. And, and I, I will say that um, even on a couple of the projects that prior to this that we didn't get to participate in, you guys were kept talking about, well, we're working on a speak-up program, we're working on a speak-up program, working on trust the process. This was something that was important to you guys um, for a long period of time. And this particular project, I think, is just to, to continue to further that relationship and give you more tools so that you can stay in front of, in mm-hmm. front of employees more frequently um, with these messages, because we, uh, uh, we, we, we all realize that you can't just have a once-a-year speak-up program. You have to tell people over right. and over and over again that it's important, and here's what happens, and here's the resources that you have, and you can trust it. And, and um, I think you know, it, it just has to be constant. It's, it's a never-ending journey. And hopefully over time, the culture s- starts to support that and you get the good group think instead of the bad group think, right? Yeah, and I, think, and I think the key to a lot of it is just being transparent with the employees. Yeah. I know a few years ago, I was involved in a project with um, Joanne and in creating an infographic uh, that's interactive that shows a, a path of an ethical concern from time of reporting to time of conclusion and everything along the way you're clicking and you're learning new things about what actually happens and why it's important to either check in or provide your name and your address and your phone number so that it can be properly investigated and we're very transparent about that so I think doing stuff uh, along those lines will help helps build the trust uh, for our employees. I remember that project and we didn't get to work on it I'm like I was like that would have been a fun project to build a fun infograph. <laughs> So uh, let, let's. Uh, uh, yeah. I know you're just now starting to launch these videos. Uh, can maybe you can tell us a little bit about your plans for how you're planning to de- deploy them, um, or uh, I'm not sure where you are in the process, but maybe you could just sort of share your your, your training and comms plan for that. Uh, Joanne is a very um, uh, has a very strong view about we create all these great materials and communication tools, and we're going to share them with everybody within our organization. So we make sure that. All of our videos, uh, not just our videos, but our training materials, but we're talking videos now, are posted on the intranet. All senior managers, all employees can use them and access them. Um, Senior managers can use them at their departmental meetings or any kind of functional meetings that they're having. Um, And they're a great plug and play, so um, they can introduce them. A lot of them have topics that are relatable, so um, we use them that way. And for um, the Speak Up course that we developed for, um, for Magna, we actually took one of the videos that we, we liked uh, with a current issue that, that you know, we're facing, and we, we sparsed it out. So we used it as a case scenario. So we just removed the intro and the, and the ending and used the case study. We presented the case study. We threw in a quiz or a pop quiz and, and uh, asking employees, what do you think the right course of action should be? And then we played the second part of the video, which actually is a full-blown summary, which is self-contained. And it just worked beautifully, like no extra work on our part. So it was really great to be able to use that scenario, like to break it up and use it as a scenario. And I, I gather we can probably do that with a lot of them. Yeah. So just to recap, uh, there's your 
using some embedded within a course that's pushed out through an LMS that um, you've and you've chopped that up so that you can sort of front it with some information, play half the scene, pause. What would you do here? Play the second half of the scene and then have your results. Uh, is that a fair assessment of of sort of the the mechanics of that? Cool. And then when you said uh, packaging some other stuff, you're you're gonna you're pairing them up with like talking points and giving them to um, to managers. Is that what you're doing for the local level? Yeah. So right now we are uh, we're just posting them on our site. Uh, we're actually doing that as we speak, uh, and then we're creating a video summary. I think you've seen that of all the videos that we have available, and with all the key categories that. Um, that uh, senior managers might be interested in using, and then they can pick the video, view it, and if they like it, they can download it and play it uh, wherever they're, you know, they need to play it. So, yeah. Cool. And I think that, by the, I just want to point out that I think that works even during uh, remote working. Like, uh, teams are still having remote, man- you know, manager-led meetings with their teams. So there's no reason you couldn't play a video and then talk about it over over uh, zoom um so la- last question uh, just is there any we always like to encourage people because people sometimes can get intimidated about trying to do something creative uh and there's sometimes internal pushback from the politics that be in their company i just any thoughts or lessons learned or encouragement you can give um to the community we do you know everything for the first three or four years in our program was so serious and it was like how are we going to you know, change it up a little bit. So we're not afraid to be creative and I don't think uh, companies should be afraid to be creative and use different types of tools to, uh, you know, get the message out about compliance. I think it's a great way to, um, it's relatable. Um, Not everyone's going to get the humor, but the humor is there. And I think it's a great way to um, not downplay the the topic, but kind of, you know, not make it so serious or heavy handed. Um, So I think, um, you know, my advice to a lot of companies is just try it out. Like, you know, see what uh, the reaction is with your employees, and I think they'll be pleasantly surprised. We did um, pilot the um, Speak Up course um, with a bunch of people, and we've gotten some positive feedback. So it's uh, we're really excited to have it, you know, roll out at the beginning of next year. So, yeah. No, that's great. Uh, well, I, I always tell people, like, every, employees always want to see something interesting or different. Uh, or, or thought provoking. They want something to break up the monotony of the day or of the normal sort of milk toast communications. It's us as educators that often get in our own way. So um, I give you guys a lot of credit for, for being willing to try new things. So Pat, first of all, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to share with us your experience about really putting creativity and compliance. That's what Ronnie and I are trying to communicate in this podcast series, obviously uh, that's Ronnie's business, but I think it's important because it's the great way to communicate. And I was really fascinated on how you were able to use this specific uh, creative messaging to build trust and help uh, uh, push forward on institutional justice and institutional fairness, which I think right now is even more critical. Um, also, thanks for letting us take a deep dive into sort of the, the nuts and bolts of the process, because I think Ronnie's right. Uh, not uh, compliance practitioners and, and other folks in corporations are sometimes intimidated by this, but by kind of peeling the, the curtain back a little bit, I think uh, you demonstrated that uh, the creative process is not Ronnie. It's you and Ronnie, it's Ronnie and his clients and it's a collaborative creative process. And that's what I think uh, makes it work. So uh, once again, thank you. We've been visiting with Pat Filiano, global compliance program manager at Magma International 
Uh, Ronnie, you want to say uh, goodbye, Pat? Uh, I would say goodbye, Pat, because I don't think you said her name beautifully, and I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Yes, kudos. You, you did a great job. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Creativity and Compliance. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.